Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Hey, y'all. In particular, hi, Mary Grace. Thank you for messaging me. Just want to say, hey, um, hello. Hello, everyone. Guess what we're going to do today? Tradition four. Tradition four opens the door to the rest of your life. I think you should come up with a jingle for every tradition. So in a recap, we have done tradition one, two, and three. Traditions keep the groups unified. They are mentioned in the 12 and 12 sister book to... Oh, sorry, I heard something. The sister book to the AA textbook, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we read the traditions in every meeting. However, we read the short form. So I will read the long form and the commentary in the back of the 12 and 12. (sighs) Okay, let's take a breath. Okay. Tradition four. This is the long form. With respect to its own affairs, each AA group should be responsible to no other authority than its own conscience. But when it plans concern the welfare of neighboring groups also, those groups ought to be consulted. And no group, regional committee, or individual should ever take action that might greatly affect AA as a whole without conferring to the trustees of the General Service Board. On such issues, our common welfare is paramount. So the GSO, or the General Service Board, is a service position in AA. It's like the governing board of service in AA. Now we're going to read Tradition 4 in the 12 and 12, which is found on page 146. And it is one, two, three, eh, like two and a half pages. Okay, so the tradition four that we read in meetings sounds as follows. Each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Autonomy is a $10 word, but in relation to us, it means very simply that every AA group can manage its affairs exactly as it pleases, except when AA as a whole is threatened. Comes now the same question raised in tradition one. Isn't such liberty foolishly dangerous? Over the years, every conceivable deviation from our 12 steps and 12 traditions have been tried. That was sure to be since we are so largely a band of ego-driven individualists. Children of chaos, we have defiantly played with every brand of fire, only to emerge unharmed and we think wiser. These very deviations created a vast process of trial and error, which, under the grace of God, has brought us to where we stand today. When AA's traditions were first published in 1946, we had become sure that an AA group could stand almost any amount of battering. We saw that the group, exactly like the individual, must eventually conform to whatever tested principles would guarantee survival. We had discovered that there was perfect safety in the process of trial and error. So confident of this had we become that the original statement of AA tradition carried this significant sentence. Any, <clears throat> pardon me. 
Any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation, meaning the purity of AA. Excuse me while I take a sip of water. This meant, of course, that we had been given the courage to declare each AA group an individual entity, strictly reliant on its own conscience as a guide to action. In charting this enormous expanse of freedom, we found it necessary to post only two storm signals. A group ought not do anything which would greatly injure AA as a whole, nor ought it affiliate itself with anything or anybody else. There would be real danger should we commence to call some groups wet, others dry, still others Republican or Communist, and yet others Catholic or Protestant. The AA group would have to stick to its course or be hopelessly lost. Sobriety had to be its sole objective. In all other respects, there was perfect freedom of will and action. Every group had the right to be wrong. When AA was still young, lots of eager groups were forming. In a town we'll call Middleton, a real crackerjack had started up. The townspeople were as hot as firecrackers about it. Stargazing, the elders dreamed of innovations. They figured the town needed a great big alcoholic center, a kind of pilot plant AA groups could duplicate everywhere. Beginning on the ground floor, there would be a club. In the second story, they would sober up drunks and hand them currency for their bank debts. That's a good idea. The third deck would house an educational project, quite non-controversial, of course. In imagination, the gleaming center was to go up several stories more, but three would do for a start. This would all take a lot of money, other people's money. Believe it or not, wealthy townsfolk bought the idea. There were, though, a few conservative dissenters among the alcoholics. They wrote the foundation, AA's headquarters in New York, wanting to know about this sort of streamlining. They understood that the elders, just to nail things down good, were about to apply to the foundation for a charter. These few were disturbed and skeptical. Of course, there was a promoter in the deal, a super promoter. By his eloquence, he allayed all fears, despite advance from the foundation, that it could issue no charter and that the ventures which mixed an AA group with medication and education had come to sticky ends elsewhere. Pardon me. To make things safer, the promoter organized three corporations and became president of them all. Freshly painted, the new center shone. The warmth of it all spread through the town. Soon things began to hum. To ensure foolproof, continuous operation, 61 rules and regulations were adopted. But alas, this bright scene was not long in darkening. Confusion replaced serenity. It was found that some drunks yearned for education, but doubted if they were alcoholics. The personality defects of others could be cured maybe with a loan. Some were club-minded, but it was just a question of taking care of the lonely heart. Sometimes the swarming applicants would go for all three floors. Some would start at the top and come through to the bottom, becoming members. Others started in the club, pitched a binge, were hospitalized, then graduated to education on the third floor. It was a beehive of activity, all right, but unlike a beehive, it was confusion compounded. An AA group as such simply couldn't handle this sort of project. All too late, that was discovered. 
Then came the inevitable explosion, something like that day the boiler burst in Wombly's clapboard factory. A chill choked damp of fear and frustration fell over the group. When that lifted, a wonderful thing had happened. The head promoter wrote the foundation office. He said he wished he'd paid some attention to AA experience. Then he did something else that was to become an AA classic. It all went on a little card about golf score size. The cover read, Middleton Group Number 1, Rule 62. Once the card was unfolded, a single pungent sentence leaped to the eye. Don't take yourself too damn seriously. Thus it was that, under Tradition 4, an AA group had exercised its right to be wrong. Moreover, it had performed a great service for Alcoholics Anonymous because it had been humbly willing to apply the lessons it learned. It had picked itself up with a laugh and gone on to better things. Even the chief architect, standing in the ruins of his dream, could laugh at himself. And that is the very acme of humility. I like that. Tradition 4. Let's read it again. Each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Some groups do things differently than others. For example, up here in Toronto, we have a reading called Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. And I have never heard it anywhere else. And my American friends are always delighted to hear it when they attend a Canadian meeting. Um, should I read it? Yeah, let's read it. If you read Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow in your own groups around the world. I would love to hear about it. I'm gonna google it. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Some call it a poem, some call it prose. We don't know where it comes from, but I shall read it. We call it YTT, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There are two days in every week about which we should not worry. Two days which should be kept free of fear and apprehension. One of these days is yesterday, with its mistakes and cares, its faults and blunders, its aches and pains, yesterday has passed forever beyond our control. All the money in the world cannot bring back yesterday. We cannot undo a single act we performed. We cannot erase a single word we said. Yesterday is gone. The other day we should not worry about is tomorrow with its possible adversities, its burdens, its larger promise and poor performance. Tomorrow is also beyond our immediate control. Tomorrow, the sun will rise, either in splendor or behind a mask of clouds, but it will rise. Until it does, we have no stake in tomorrow, for it is as yet unborn. This leaves only one day, today. Any man or woman can fight the battles of just one day. It is only when you and I add the burdens of those two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow, that we break down. It is not the experience of today that drives men and women mad. It is remorse or bitterness for something which happened yesterday and the dread of what tomorrow may bring. Let us therefore live but one day at a time. When I hear that in meetings, just like I did right now, my whole being relaxes because it reminds me I am not in yesterday and I am not in tomorrow. I am in right now so I can let go of all of my hurts and 
actions and thoughts and feelings of what happened yesterday, but I also don't have to put any stock in tomorrow because it's completely unpredictable. Sometimes yesterday, today, and tomorrow for me is yester moment, now, and yonder moment because sometimes as addicts, as human beings in this world, we can only ever really be in now. And sometimes tomorrow or yesterday is way too big a chunk of time for me. Sometimes the last hour or the hour ahead of me is way too big a chunk of time for me. So sometimes it's moment by moment. And yesterday, today, and tomorrow I think is a gem of a prayer. And so is our serenity prayer that we pray at the beginning and at some groups at the end of the meeting. Uh, Sometimes when a sponsee is struggling, as my sponsor has done to me, has said, say the serenity prayer, think of each component of it and ask yourself, what part of the serenity prayer could help me right now? So is it, grant me the wisdom, God, grant me the serenity. (laughs) This happens every time I try and think about what I say a million times a day. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change You're probably screaming in at me. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So do I need to have, do I need to accept something I can't change? Is that the part of the serenity prayer that I could apply to this situation in my life? Is it the courage to change what I can? Or is it simply in deciphering if I don't know if it lies in accepting something I can't change or changing something I can? And sometimes we don't know. And guess what? When you don't know, don't do anything. Just don't do anything. I know that's hard for a lot of us, perfectionists, type A's, whatever you want to call it, control freaks. But if you don't know, take it as a sign from God. You get to take a vacation from whatever it is until you do know. Thank you for being with me. I hope you enjoyed step four. Sorry, tradition four. Oh, I think I said step four at the beginning. Tradition four opens the door to the rest of your life. That song was actually meant, now that I think about it, for step four, not tradition four. But we'll just pretend that it did. Anywho, I'm Julie. I love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Stay tuned for tradition five.